Um, worship was good. Thank you, worship team. Um, everyone, thank you, Lord, for good worship. And I'm going to pray myself to help myself um, focus here. God, we, prayer is a good thing. We can never have enough of it. Uh, so, so God, I just, um, Father, we just, uh, as a congregation, we just come before you, Lord, and, and we just really just give you our heart. And I just ask that you would be with me, God, and that, that you would be with all of us as we just go over your word, God. And, and we just thank you for giving us your word, God, and, and for giving us your spirit to illumine into our hearts, God. So, so we just pray that that you would just be with us as as um as I teach. God, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. All right, so let's open up to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Um we've been going through the life of David in 1st and 2nd Samuel and um it's really for me personally it's been a really interesting and enriching study because um you know, not much of David was taught to me when I was growing up, except for the famous David and Goliath story. So going through the whole entire story has been really interesting. It's been really um, riveting and really fun for me to study it myself and to go through it. And one of the things that I've found that's it's always been a little bit of a source of confusion for me when I've read it is um, the difference between our commission and David's commission. Um, is that, you know, we both, both the church, the New Testament church and... Um, the Old Testament church, um, as in the people of Israel, they were given a commission by God which was very specific and it was very, um, very difficult and actually impossible apart from God's help. But, but they were actually radically different. Um, David's commission was that um, he was called to, um, to make sure that there was peace in Israel, to secure peace in Israel and to destroy the Lord's enemies actually through war. So... So the way that David played out his calling and the way that the people of Israel in those days played out their calling was to gather up their weapons and to go to war against enemy nations. And um, our calling is radically different than that. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5 says that we have been, we're called ministers of reconciliation where God is through us is making his appeal to the world. And um, Matthew chapter 28 talks about the Great Commission, which is go ye and make disciples of all nations. And our mission is radically different from David's mission. David's mission was you have to go in and go in and destroy the enemy nations by physical violence. But ours was that people are not our enemy, but the things that keep people from a relationship with Jesus Christ, through, and with God through Jesus Christ, is our enemy. So the the different mindsets, the different spirits, the different speculations that people have that separate them from God, those are our enemy, those are our enemy and those are the things that we're trying to destroy. So when we study this, um, obviously, you know, we teach about, we're going to be looking at the mighty men and we're going to be looking at the courage of David and how he went to war and how they did incredible acts of destroying God's enemies. Um, one of the things that, that we really... Um, it's, it's, we're not called to do that, but it's like a prophetic statement about the courage that it takes to do our commission, to do our calling in God. Um, and the, the thing why David and why First and Second Samuel is so um, prophetic and speaks so much to us and to our condition is because they both were impossible to do apart from God's strength. Um, especially when David first um, was first um, in the soldier, right when he was first taking his kingship, um, the Philistines were actually physically superior and technologically to sp- superior to Israel. 
not only did they have all these incredible like nine feet tall giants like Goliath and all of his brothers, but they also had discovered iron before Israel had. And you see in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that the Philistines would charge Israel to sharpen their tools and sharpen their weapons because they didn't want Israel to discover iron for themselves because if Israel discovered iron for themselves, they'd be able to make swords and then the battle would be even. So when Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, all they had on their side was God. It wasn't, okay, it wasn't maybe we have good planning. It wasn't that we're physically stronger. It wasn't that we're like smarter. It's God. It's God and God alone. And we're in the same boat right now. You know, like in order to reach the world, in order to help people come into a relationship with God, in order to do the will of God in our lives, we don't necessarily have the the greatest tools that other people would have, but all we really have is the anointing of God to do what we're called to do. So um, that's an introduction. So let's look at Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 12. These are the mighty men of David, the, the strongest people in his army. So let's read it. It says, These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Joseph Bathshebeth, the Tachamanite, chief among the captains, he was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite, the Philistines had gathered there into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory on that day. That's different than that one because I'm reading the New King James. I wanted to really increase my vocabulary. So, But um, these are really actually incredible stories. And more than incredible, they're actually superhuman. I mean, they're supernatural. I mean, you've got this guy who, who had one name, but then because he was such a crazy warrior, they gave him another name. Um, they called him Adino the Esnite, but that's actually not in that translation. But, but, um, but he killed 800 men in one encounter. I mean, the only other person to do something like that in the whole entire biblical record is Samson, who killed 1,000 with the jawbone of an ox. And just like with Samson, what happened to Adino was in the middle of a battle, the Holy Spirit came on him, and he was given the supernatural ability to destroy the Lord's enemies. And he killed, I mean, 800 people at once with a spear is incredible. I mean, it's really a superhuman feat. Then you've got this guy, Eleazar. And um, he basically, when the Philistines were taunting him, taunting him, he charged the whole entire army by himself. And he got so, like, wrapped up in God that his hand actually got, like, cramped to the sword. And he couldn't take his hand off the sword. And he just, like, cut down everyone in his path. And it really was, it was just a, an amazing um, act that the Holy Spirit works through him in his life. And then we have Shama, who, um, when everyone retreated from him, so Eliezer, you know, approached everyone and attacked everyone, ran after everyone, but Shama stood his ground when everyone fled from him, and he destroyed um, the Philistines with an incredible act of courage and, and um, valor, and the Holy Spirit worked through him. And these are all really amazing and incredible stories. But one thing that's to me is so um, so speaks so much about them is the fact that they're recorded. Um, the fact that they're recorded really speaks to something about David, and it speaks to something about one of the values that Israel had. 
And Israel had this, this incredible um, value for remembering the works of God and remembering the testimony of God in your life. Um, we see in David's life, um, when he was talking to Saul about how he had the courage to go up against Goliath, who was nine feet, nine inches tall, and had been training as a warrior since David, he was David's age, and David was a little Israelite 15-year-old boy who hadn't really trained at all. David said, well, in my past life, I destroyed a lion, I destroyed a bear, and this Philistine will be just like it. We see that David fed off of the stories that God had done in his life when the anointing came on his life and the courage came on his life and he found courage to destroy the enemies of, of the Israel and the enemies of God. And so it gave him courage to step out in boldness. Um, and it's very interesting that, that, in my opinion, I'm sort of reading into the scripture a little bit, but I really believe that, that David, when he was training the armies, that he would have the commanders of Israel say, write down these stories or write down the different um, stories that God had caused great victories in Israel through the the courage of his people. You know, for example, um, you know, when Abraham took on all those different kings and it was just him and his people and he destroyed all these different multitudes of nations or when Jonathan and his armor bearer took on all the Philistines by himself and God gave a great victory or the exploits of Samson or Gideon, I really believe that that David, when he was training his army, would train them by the testimony while they were, you know, practicing their spears and working on their sword thingies and marching. And he would probably have the commander say, you got to remember there was a time when Samson went and killed a hundred, you know, a hundred Philistines on his own or a thousand Philistines on his own because the Spirit of God came on him. And there was something that was being built into the soldier's DNA that there's nothing impossible with God as long as you obey his voice, as long as you move with him. You see, because David understood, as did all of the army of Israel, that the Philistines were physically stronger and they were technologically stronger and that the only thing that Israel had on their side was God. Um, it's, It's really been something that I've been trying to practice in my life. And um, just trying to practice every time... Every time I have any sort of speaking engagement, I always try to talk about some testimony of something that God's done in my life. And um, I remember I was sharing a testimony about how um, there was this guy um, that I had gotten to pray for in my church in Cincinnati who, um, who had a cyst on his pancreas that was, that was like so big that it caused him extreme discomfort and um, it caused him to have uncontrollable hiccups and he couldn't really sleep at night, and it was during Christmas time, and all of his family was there, but he had to be upstairs because he was in so much pain and so much um, difficulty because of the cyst that was on his pancreas. And um, during that time, I, I really started to, you know, get this, feel this calling from God on how I need to move in healing. And, and so I was going to hospitals and getting kicked out, trying to pray for people, and they said, get out of here, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to do this. And I'd be like, God wants to, you know. And, um, uh, and so I was getting kicked out, and so my parents were hearing about it, and they were like, well, this guy in our Bible study is sick. Why don't you go pray for him? And so I was like, all right, that'll be cool. And um, so I went over there, and, and um, you know, I prayed for him. I laid my hands on him, and, and he gave me some really encouraging words about my destiny, and it was just a really good time of fellowship, and we were just really in the presence of the Lord. And, and I got this um, word of encouragement for him where I said, I feel, I said, I feel like... Um, your healing is going to be like um, the parable of the mustard seed. 
where um, it's going to start small, but then it's going to expand and it's going to completely take root in your body. And so he said, he said, you know, that's awesome. You know, thanks so much. And and he still had hiccups when I left. He was hiccuping the whole time. And he's like, thank, see ya. And, you know, he said, goodbye, you know. And it was, you know, I, I left. And But there's something that happened when the Lord spoke that word to me that it really took place. There was some interaction that took place in my heart where even though I couldn't see in the natural that, that God had done something, there was there was some sort of like spiritual faith, like a receipt that I'd been given by God saying this is going to come. And... And so, and so, you know, I, I get a call, you know, I'm, nothing happens, you know, no, I don't hear anything about it. About two weeks later, I get a call from my mom, and she's going to say, and she says, um, you're never going to believe this, but um, you got to hear what happened. And so I'm like, okay, well, just tell me. And um, she says, you know, you remember that guy that you prayed for? You know, the guy from our Bible study? And, um, and I was like, yeah, I remember that guy, you know, and, and um, she's like, well, you're gonna, never going to believe this, but right after you prayed, he took a nap for two hours, and he woke up, and he hasn't had hiccups since. And not only that, he um, went to the doctor, and the doctor said for some reason his cyst keeps on shrinking, and they can't figure out the reason why. And they say that he's, he's asymptomatic, and he's gotten so much energy that he's able to go on a retreat out into the, to the wilderness now. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so, so I, was, I was sharing that testimony at church. Um, at, a, at a church that I had guest speaking at. And after I got done sharing that testimony, you know, so many people wanted to come and receive prayer. And the Lord really just started to unlock just the spirit of prophecy in the room. And God really just started to move on that place. And it was crazy. And this lady um, had a mom, or still has a mom. Uh, um <laughs> This lady, her faith was stirred, and she had a mom, and so she, she got my Facebook, and she started to correspond with me through Facebook, and um, because she'd heard that testimony, something was uh, moved in her heart where she wanted, to, she wanted um, to, for me to join with her in prayer for her mom. Her mom had cancer um, in various places of her body, but the one place that really worried her was that she had cancer in her brain. She had some brain tumors, and, um, and so she was really... Um, she was really worried about, you know, the brain tumors. And so we just, you know, we, I decided, I said, well, here, let me and Jinwa come up to, to where you live in Cincinnati and we'll pray for her. And I was like, you know, we like Skyline Chili. We, we like to eat up there. And my family lives up there. So we drove up there three hours up, three hours back. And I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to write this note um, about healing and just like a general healing blessing over her, over her body. And I felt like she was supposed to read it every day before she went to bed. And um, so she was really happy, and she was really thankful, and and um, and so she was really happy and really thankful, and they were getting treatment because it was sort of serious, and so they got the first CAT scan, and um, she they said that the 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 um, there was tumors, but there was also spots that had colors. I'm not sure what all that means, but they said after the first CAT scan, the spots, the colors started to go away. And then maybe like, and then so she was still sort of worried about that. And so she said, keep praying. And, and then while she said, you know, keep praying, we were corresponding over Facebook. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, it's finished. And, and again, the same thing that happened, there's like this gift of faith, this like receipt from God. That even though I didn't have a natural thing saying that this is going to happen, this is... Um, I didn't have any evidence in the natural that's saying God is doing something. I still had this spiritual receipt that I could keep in my heart. 
And I, you know, and this was a Baptist woman, so I sort of phrased it using scripture, which is a good way to, you know, honor someone who's a Christian who really loves the word of God. So, um, so I, I found this passage in Moses where it says, um, it's, you, you won't do anything, but God will fight your battles for you. And um, you be silent and God will work it for you. And I told her, you know, I gave her that scripture and I said, I, I feel like you don't even need to pray at all. I feel like God's completely going to take care of it. I feel like your mom's going to be completely healed. And, and she was like, okay. <laughs> About two months later, she Facebooked me again while I was on my honeymoon. And she said, this is amazing. Um, all of her tumors in her brain have completely disappeared. And it's it's... Uh, the testimony created faith for another miracle of God to happen. And since then, um, in our home group and just with various people, we've probably seen anywhere from three to five people that were had given a death sentence by the doctors um, healed in the past year from heart disease, cancer. And there's just been a real just faith been released that God can do, that nothing's impossible with God. And a sentence given by man is not a final sentence because God has the final say. And you see that the testimony is something that's really a biblical truth. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole entire Bible, says this. It says they overcame him, and they're talking about the devil in this statement. They said they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. So the Bible reveals that when you remember the things that God does in your life, when you remember the things that God does in other people's life, that it does something to renew your mind, and it does something to reveal His power to your heart that says, I can get through this, and God will give me strength, and God's going to come through. It releases a spirit of faith. The testimony releases a spirit of faith. So it's so amazing that David would train his men by giving them testimony after testimony after testimony, and he would just begin to just, in the soil of their heart, begin to plant seeds of faith that when they needed God to come through in their life, that they would have something to draw from. All right, so let's look at um, verses 13 through 17. It says, Then the three of the thirty chief men were down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David was said with longing, Oh, that someone will give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by these three mighty men. First off, this is again, this is maybe one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life. Okay, let, let, let's just sort of go over it. I, I gave um, a picture to Raymond of the mighty men of what I think that they, one of them probably looked like. This is probably what I think Eleazar looked like. <laughs> Because, you see, they obviously don't have that much going on in the brain. I mean, here's what's going on. David used to live, he grew up in Bethlehem, and so David's just harping to his friends and his buddies. He's like, man, I wish that someone could get me a drink of water from Bethlehem. I remember when I was shepherding the sheep. I remember when I was doing chores for my dad, when I was really tired and I was really sweaty. I'd get something from that well, and it was so fresh, and it was so good. And, 
And I just, man, I just, he was just reminiscing of how good that thing was. He didn't mean anything by it. But these three guys probably weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. And they were just like, oh, king wants water. And so they're like, oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, because David obviously couldn't admit, I want you three men to go to the Philistines and get me water. Obviously, he didn't mean that. So there probably wasn't a lot going on men- mentally there. And so these guys, they get this mission in their heads that they're going to do this great thing for David. So they have to go through the whole entire Philistine camp. The Philistines are camped there. It's not like a battle, but like, it's like they're living there. So they go in and they like probably have to fight and like kill like 20 or 30 people in order to get to the well. And then they're getting the well and then this guy's got the water and then these two guys are guarding him. So he's holding this gel of water and these two guys are like fighting people off and they're going, go, go, go. And he's like fighting off and they finally get out of the camp and they go, yeah, and you know, like we got you guys. And then they're like all proud of themselves and they bring it to Dave and he's just like, are you guys crazy? Like, like what's wrong with you all? Like you're insane. And, I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't know what was in their head, but, but I always would read that, and, you know, it was a really funny story, but there was always something, there's something deeper to it, like, um, and the deeper thing was is that there was incredible realms of human loyalty that these men expressed to David. And um, it's always been something that's in my heart. It's like, God, why were these men so loyal to David? Like, what was it about David that made these three men want to risk their lives just to get them a drink of water. I mean, yeah, they weren't the smartest, but there's something better than that. You know, you can be stupid and still not like someone. You know, I mean, I know all about that, but, you know. (laughs) But these guys were incredibly loyal. And one of the things that I believe the Lord spoke to me about that is the, the characteristic of how David lived his life and how David led his army is that David led from the front lines. Um, We see all throughout David's life, except for in one occasion, that David would always go out to the battle and that he would be there with his men, fighting along with his men in the place of risk, in the place of faith, in constant danger, fighting the Lord's enemies along with his men. He wasn't the king that sat back in his little fluffy chair and is comfortable and had his servants serving him, but he was the king who went out to war with his men and because his men saw that again and again, there was something in their heart that said, I love this guy. This guy gets me. I'll do anything for this man. And as I looked in scripture, there's a, there's a couple other people that actually had this same characteristic where they had human loyalty like this on this level. And one was the Apostle Paul. And um, there's various places in the book of Acts where the churches would just weep and just be so anguished because he was leaving. And I would just remember, I'd be like, you know, like, I never got it. Like, you know, like, it just never really made sense to me. And one of the things that I'm, I'm beginning to realize about the Apostle Paul was that when the Apostle Paul would take his shirt off, you would see scars. And you would see places on his back where he'd been whipped again and again because he'd been beaten because he'd been preaching the gospel and the people didn't like it. Or there would be witnesses of him when he was stoned because he would refuse to stop preaching the gospel and these people would just be so angry at him and so against the gospel and so against the light that they would just try to kill him right there. And so it says in Galatians chapter 5, it's a really powerful verse. He says, let no one cause any more trouble for me because I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Paul was an extremely revelatory teacher. He had an extremely amazing 
supernatural intellectual gift where he was able to comprehend the mysteries of the world and able to comprehend the mysteries of God as to how they fit into all of the world and how that salvation came to Israel, but it also extended to the Gentiles and he had an extremely good way of explaining it in all of his epistles, which we have now. But at that time, there was no shortage of teachers. There was no shortage of people who were smart. The thing that made people so loyal to Paul was that they saw him day in and day out, going to different cities where the gospel was not accepted, putting his life on the line, taking risks for God, and saying, I'm going to do this because these people are worth it and because God should receive his glory. The Lamb should receive the reward of his sufferings. And when people saw that, they said, I want to follow this guy. There's something about that. And I mean, as P. Ray said, there's going to be a time, you know, when... um, when all of us, you know, might, might go on and, and do different things. But there's one thing that we can all do. Like, like, like David, like Paul. Um, you know, if, if David probably took off his armor, you could probably see the different places where he'd been hit by a sword in the middle of battle. Or if he'd been hit by a spear, one of the Philistines had probably come in and slashed him on the side there. And he probably had all these different wounds from the battle. And his men looked at that and they said, I want to follow him. I'm loyal to this guy. And you know, not everyone's going to have a platform. You know, not everyone's going to be on the, front, you know, on, the, on the front of the church and speaking and be a pastor or a worship leader, but we can all lead like David did. We can all lead like Paul did. We can all get a hold of the mandate of God. We can all say, I'm going to make disciples of all nations. I'm going to put my place in the place of risk and faith where it might cost me something. And I'm going to do this. And if you start doing that, you will inspire people to follow after you. We might not have a speaking part. But you can be someone who leads like that. Alright, let's read the next two verses in Second Samuel. Um, verses 18 through 19 says, Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against three hundred men and killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Alright, now we finally find someone of the mighty men who's actually famous in First and Second Samuel. These other three guys, you know, Adino, Eleazar, and Shammah, they're not really that famous. They're, I mean, they're famous in the army, but you won't find them anywhere else in First and Second Samuel. But Abishai and Joab, these guys are all throughout First and Second Samuel. Now, Abishai and Joab are, are very um, interesting because they were, they were loyal to David from the beginning. I mean, when David was running from Saul... And he went to the cave of Adullam, and those 400 men gathered to David in the cave of Adullam. Abishai and Joab were two of the men that gathered to him. They were with him the whole entire time. They were extremely loyal. They were extremely zealous. They were extremely courageous. And they were extremely supportive of God, of David, and of the kingdom of Israel. They were so, they were incredibly good soldiers. That being said, They had issues. They had some issues. Joab. Joab had two primary issues in his life. There may be more, but the two that I've seen is this, is that he had an issue with with strife, and he had an issue with anger and revenge and bitterness. 
Okay, Joab had an issue with strife. Joab actually committed two murders in his life. Obviously, he was a soldier, so he committed a lot of, he killed a lot of people, but it wasn't sin unless it was in peacetime, and he committed two peacetime murders. The first one was of the former general of Israel, the name Abner, and the second one was of the former general of Absalom's army named Amasa. Now, Joab's strife came out when Amasa, the former general of Absalom's army, was named the head general over all of Israel because David was making a political mood saying, all right, well, Absalom and all of his men just rebelled against me. Absalom's now dead, so I want to make Absalom's supporters and I want to make the people that were involved in Absalom's conspiracy happy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the head general in charge of the whole entire army. It'll send a political message to them saying that I'm on their side. And so all the people that were with Absalom were being, oh, okay, well, I'm on, David's for us, he's not against us, he's not going to try to kill us, but he actually wants to unite the whole entire kingdom, so he made a mass of the head general. Joab was a little bit mad about this, because Joab said, you know what, I've been serving David my whole entire life, I've been the head general of the army, I've done nothing wrong, if anything, I've actually killed the guy who was trying to get rid of him, so he was a little bit mad about that, so he just decided, even though Amasa had done nothing to him, he just decided that he'd go up one day and he he came up to Amasa and they were greeting each other but he acted like his sword slipped out of his sheath and he killed him right there on the spot murdered him in cold blood and said everyone who's for Joab and for David follow me and they went up and he became the head general over the army so even though Joab was incredibly loyal even though he was incredibly zealous even though he had incredible courage the dude had an issue of strife I mean he wanted to be the leader dude he wanted to be the head general and anyone who came against him he just killed. It was crazy. And then there was Abishai. Abishai and Joab both had the same issue, and the issue was of revenge and of bitterness. Um, Abner was the former general of Israel, and he was the general under Saul's regime. And Saul had, was very angry at David for, a, for about seven or eight years. And during that time, Saul decided that he was going to send 3,000 men that would constantly try to kill David at all times. That was their mission. You 3,000 men, kill David. Abner was the leader of those 3,000 men. So Abner and these 3,000 men caused David and his men to live in constant fear all the time of these guys. So they, for seven or eight years, they had this haunting visions and these haunting dreams of Abner and his men coming and finding them and killing them. And eventually, um, they, they get away from Abner and Saul dies. And... Um, and Abner becomes the head general over, over all of Israel under Saul's son Ishbosheth. So Ishbosheth and Abner start to have this little bit of a confrontation, and, and Abner decides that he's going to go and help David make king over all of Israel. So David's really happy about that. So David says he wants to make Abner general over all the entire army. The only problem is, is that Abner, during the civil war between David's men and um, Saul's men, killed. Um, Joab and um, Abishai's younger brother. So Joab and Abishai, their younger brother, was killed by Abner in a time of war. They kept that in their heart, and they decided because of their bitterness, even though Abner had done nothing to them politically, um, and there was no actual political reason to kill them, because they were angry at what he had done during war, they killed him in peacetime. So Joab committed two murders, right? But he was still one of the head leaders over, over David's troop. And Abishai had a, a problem with that too. Abishai had another problem. Abishai did not have the greatest spiritual discernment. Abishai, um, there's, it's actually a really funny thing about Abishai. There are two different places when Abishai um, 
talks to David about killing people. The first time there was this um, weird event where for some reason David felt impelled to go to Saul and the 3,000 men that were trying to kill him and he felt that he was supposed to go towards them and talk to them. And it turned out that when he went towards them to talk to them, it's really an amazing count that they were all under a supernatural sleep. So it was as if God... Um, had told, somehow impelled David that he was supposed to go up there and talk to them, and he goes and he finds everyone asleep. And so it's like this really interesting act of God. And Abishai's with David at that time. So Abishai says to David, the Lord just delivered this guy into our hands. And he gets real excited, right? And so, and so he's like, David, David, just let me kill him. I just want to kill him. You know, this guy's been hunting us for a long time. Just let me kill him. And so and he's like, I'll take the spear, I'll put it in his head, it'll be real quick, just let me kill him. And so then David says, David says, well, you can't kill him because if you kill the Lord's anointed, something bad's going to happen to you. So Abishai goes, all right, I'm going to mark that one down, I'm going to write it down, mental note, right? So he stores that in the file, right? So fast forward, a little bit later, Second Samuel, David's running from Absalom's army, right? When David's running from Absalom, he's leaving and he's going to this different place. While he's going to this different place, there's this guy named Shemai, this random guy who's of the same tribe of Saul, so he's really bitter against David because of what David had done to Saul and taken over as king. And so he starts throwing rocks at David and cursing David, saying, Curse you, David! You know, God's judging you, and he's really mad. And so Abishai's with David again. And so Abishai remembers the lesson that he learned. Abishai said, okay, David, you told me someone touches the Lord's anointed that I'm supposed to kill him. You know, you remember that. You said that. You said bad things happen to people that touch the Lord's anointed. I remember that. Let me kill him. And this time, David says, no, you can't kill him this time either. And Abishai's like, what? And David said, the reason why you can't kill him this time is because this might be the hand of God judging my life, and it might be the hand of God disciplining my life. And so he says, okay, well, I don't understand this God thing. This, this honestly just doesn't make sense to me. And, and so Abishai had a tremendous lack of spiritual discernment. But here's the very interesting thing about this. All through, there's two or three different places where David says to Abishai and Joab, he says, you sons of Zariah, it's so hard for me to deal with you. Oh, you guys are too harsh for me. Oh, what do I have to do with you sons of Zariah? And it reveals that David had to have incredible patience for the sons of Zariah that there was something that they were just really irritating to him, that they were sometimes too harsh, that he, they just, he just didn't get them, and they were so hard to deal with. But David never kicked them off the army. It's, it's, and it's something that really speaks to something that we, we have to go through as a church as well, is that even though Abishai and Joab had tremendous issues in their heart, I mean, murder, it's a pretty big deal, you know, like... It's not like, you know, irritating, it's murder. But even though they had tremendous issues in their heart, David said, okay, Abishai killed 300 men at once. That's pretty amazing. Joab's this great leader. And even more amazing than that is that even though David had to be incredibly patient with Abishai and Joab, in 2 Samuel chapter 20, there's this amazing account when David has become old and he's become weary and he's still fighting in battle, and he's about to be killed. So David's about to be killed. He's fighting one of the brothers, brothers of Goliath, and the brother of Goliath is like, I'm going to avenge 
my brother Goliath on David. I'm going to strike David, and I'm going to win honor back for the Philistines, right? So David's about to be killed. He's grown tired. He's about to be killed by this giant. And Abishai, of all people, is the one who comes in and rescues David. So what's that speak? It speaks that the people that you have to be the most patient with the people that irritate you the most, the people that have even issues with sin in their life, that if we're able to be patient with them, if we're able to show mercy to them, then in the time when we need it the most, they might be the person who saves us from the giant. And, And it speaks to something about David's patience, and it's really something that Jesus had. I mean, Jesus was patient with Peter, Jesus was patient with James and John. James and John wanted to use the power of God to kill Samaritans. (laughs) And he said, it's actually sort of funny because the same thing that David says to the sons of Zariah, Jesus says to James and John, calls them the sons of thunder. He says, what do I have to do with you guys? (laughs) You know, it's like, what's wrong with you? You guys are the sons of thunder. Like, you guys are crazy. Like, this is not the same spirit. And... But James and John became two of the apostles that founded the church of Jesus Christ that eventually led to the salvation movement that's going over the whole entire world. And so it, it speaks as to something that we have to live in our own lives. All throughout the New Testament it says you need to be patient with people. And see, we need to be able to accept people for who they are. We need to be able to embrace people's strengths. You know, I mean, if you look at Abishai, okay, here's, here's, what, here's what David's got on the weight of Abishai. He's like, he killed 300 men at one time, saved me from the giant, but he doesn't have much spiritual discernment, and he killed someone. You know, it's just like David understood that he needed Abishai and that he needed Joab, and that because he understood that, he was willing to be patient with people who didn't necessarily have incredible character in their lives. And that really speaks to something that we need to do in the kingdom. So, so in conclusion, um, we, we understand that even though our mission is not the same as David's missions, we're, we're very similar to David in that our mission is impossible. And that the only way that we can do it is through God's help. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through the anointing of God. In fact, one of the coolest things about David, and you look at his life, he had these things that I call spirit-led wars. You should look at it. It's like really cool. Like he, the Holy Spirit would tell him he needs to wait until he hears the sound of marching in the trees. And then when he hears the sound of marching in the trees, that he should go because at that point, the angels of God come and give him victory. Like, that's awesome. I'm sorry, but that's just cool. I just think that's awesome. And David understood the same way that we need to is that the only way that you can do the mission of God is through the power of the Holy Spirit and through listening and obeying His voice. The second thing is that we need to understand the power of the testimony to the point that we need to do what David did and we need to create a culture of the testimony in our lives. We need to, at dinner tables, we need to, at home groups, we need to, in various times in our lives, we need to talk about the things that God has done. We need to talk about the things that God is doing, and we need to encourage each other by the things that He's doing in our lives. Because by doing that, you create faith in your own life and in everyone else's life to step out for a breakthrough that's something that would be impossible apart from Him. And then another thing we need to understand that if we, if we live our lives from the place of risk and faith, in the place of front lines, we don't have to have a podium, we don't have to have a platform, but we can still be a leader for God. And then we also need to be patient with people who have extreme strengths and extreme weaknesses because that's the kingdom of heaven because we're all just broken people trying to serve God.
So, um, ministry team, come up. Um, so for the, I guess, altar call, or ministry call to, call to prayer, I, I don't know what you, forget what you call it. But for that, um, if you want to receive prayer, um, I feel like anybody who just says, you know what, like, I want to go into the army of God. Like, I want to figure out where's my niche, what I can do to serve God in order to help people come into a greater relationship with Jesus. And God, I don't necessarily know if I'm living that out of my life, and I don't necessarily know how to live that out of my life. If that's you, I just, I just want you to come up for prayer and one of the ministry team will pray for you. And, and uh, these guys have some words, so, so give them...